I guess I'm just kind of wondering, like, if you were going to be a supervillain in the Marvel universe, what would your animal affiliation be? I think I'd have to go the Peter Pettigrew route and take on the form of a giant rat. Are you going to be a big-nosed rat, or are you just going to have some big teeth? Maybe just have, like, a really, like, overly long tail that just, like, slaps everything out of the way as I'm running around. But maybe have some big teeth, too, to, like, just eat through some stuff. I don't know. You can be a rat slapper, too. You know, I'm really, I've been thinking about it lately. I think I have a bit of a fascination with birds, and specifically the very majestic ones, like, of course, eagles. I mean, who who doesn't like a good eagle? But I really think hawks are underrated, and I know that people really talk about how the hawks have great vision. You know, the hawk eye is very, quite beautiful, and I think I would well, there like- There is a character named Hawkeye. Wait, what? He has his own show on Disney+. Plus. Aren't you watching it? Because I don't think anybody else is. Who plays him? Some guy that wrote a rock album. No way, Jeremy Renner? Yeah, that guy. Oh, wow. The take the medicine guy? The medicine man, as he's known. I guess he had the exact same thought as me. He was like, you know, that Spider-Man, he's running around, and I like hawks and birds and really bad rock music, so I guess I'll play a character and only be worth a damn on Disney+. Plus. So I guess my true answer then is I can't play anything. I'll also do a shitload of cocaine and lose my kids. what's up everybody welcome back to another episode of the arnie's we are three guys trying to avoid michael keaton staring creepily at us on the way to homecoming with nothing better to do i'm matt johnson and the father of my homecoming date also dressed like a bird i'm keith baker and i was also given sunglasses by tony but they're just normal glasses and I'm Austin Terry, and I don't understand why people like Tobey Maguire. On today's show, we're wrapping up our lead into Spider-Man No Way Home. A while back, we talked about Tobey Maguire and Sam Raimi's Spider-Man trilogy, and more recently, we covered Andrew Garfield and Mark Webb's duology. So today, it's time to venture into the MCU for our newest and most recent iteration of the webhead with Tom Holland. But before we get to that, Austin, what other episode should the audience be checking out? Yeah, last week we put out a pretty fun episode. Um, We broke down a few movies that just surprised us. We all had no expectations for these movies going in, and uh, they ended up pleasantly surprising us and being pretty good movies. So I think on that episode, we put together a pretty good list of recommendations. And then, of course, two weeks ago, we did Tick, Tick, Boom, Andrew Garfield's new musical. And the week before that, like Matt said, we broke down Andrew Garfield's Spider-Man. So lots of Spidey content, lots of Andrew Garfield content. And lots of really good movies on this show lately. Yeah, tons of really good stuff. Go check those out because we have been talking about it a lot. But I think all of us can say we were not excited to watch the Andrew Garfield Spider-Man movies. But we all came away going, hey, those were pretty good. We might have been wrong. So check that out. Tick, Tick, Boom was fantastic. And with that, let's go ahead and get into the main topic for today's show. Andrew Garfield and Mark Webb had planned to make The Amazing Spider-Man 3 as well as establish a universe of Spider-Man films with Sony. but. After the failure of The Amazing Spider-Man 2, Sony and Marvel resumed talks to form a crossover. And with that, we lost the established Garfield Spider-Man in favor of a younger version of the character to join the Marvel Cinematic Universe. In 2016, Tom Holland debuted as Spider-Man in Captain America's Civil War with a plan to spin off into his own series of films. Holland, a rising star at the time, joined up with independent director John Watts to tell the continuing adventures of Spider-Man, focusing on him in high school while still being in the early days of having his powers. Throw in some familiar locations, the MCU style of filmmaking, and of course, the occasional RDJ as Iron Man appearance, and there you go, we have Spider-Man Homecoming and Far From Home 
let's talk about it. So, Austin and Keith, give me your opening thoughts on Tom Holland's Spider-Man, both his appearances in the MCU and his standalone movies. Yeah, I really enjoy Tom Holland as Spider-Man. Um, I think he may be the best Peter Parker of the three that we've covered so far. Um, I like that we get to see his high school life and actually spend time with him just kind of being an everyday nerdy kid. I do think the fact that his character is so intrinsically tied to the MCU does hurt some of the actual like getting to flesh out this character within these movies. But then at the same time, I think some of his best Spider-Man moments come when he's interacting with the rest of the Avengers. Um, and I do like that this character exists as part of kind of the larger Marvel universe. It's still really cool to see like Iron Man come in and out of these movies. Um, I'll also say that I think Tom Holland got some of the best villain performances in his movies, particularly Jake Gyllenhaal as Mysterio. So if anyone's keeping score at home, Austin's thoughts are this. Andrew Garfield, best Spider-Man. Tom Holland, best Peter Parker. And Tobey Maguire just sucks all around. Austin, how dare you? My back. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't quite agree with what Austin said about Tobey Maguire. I gotta back my boy Toby up a little bit. But that's not what we're here for. We're here for Tom Holland's Spider-Man's. It felt like this was the first time watching both of these. Well, for Far From Home, it was the first time. For Homecoming, I couldn't remember anything about this movie. So it felt like the first time watching it. I think I saw it in theaters when it first came out. Um, but going through this on this rewatch, I, I was like, wow, I don't remember any of this stuff. But I really enjoyed both of them. Michael Keaton as the uh, the bad guy in Homecoming, I thought he was awesome. Um, I really And like you said, Austin... I really do like how these are kind of uh, intertwined with the MC universe and that, you know, they're picking up scraps from all the all the battles and all that. I really liked how they, they uh, kind of implemented all that in there. Um, and then going with Tom Holland, yeah, he's really funny. There are some drawbacks we'll get into uh, later. Going into Far From Home, watching this one the, for the first time after it came out, what, two or three years ago? So just now seeing it. But yeah, I really enjoyed this one. I think I probably enjoyed it a little bit more than Homecoming, to be honest. I really like Jake Gyllenhaal's performance as Mysterio. Some things happened in this movie I was not expecting at all, but uh, this one was a really fun ride, and both of them were a fun ride all around. Um, so I'm excited to get into them and talk to details. I think my biggest thing is, and I didn't anticipate going into these movies, but being a part of the larger Marvel Cinematic Universe, I think we can all agree, whether or not we loved or hated whatever it may be, there's a give and take. I think it's really damn cool seeing Tom Holland as Spider-Man, interacting with Iron Man, having this cool mentor relationship, even with like smaller characters like Happy Hogan, Pepper Potts, like just characters that we've seen pop up here and there. Super cool, super fun. And while that's really cool, there is an element of it that makes it feel like at times he's not learning things on his own. He's learning lessons because other characters that we've met that have also learned lessons in the past are just kind of telling him things. And that doesn't mean that there's not great dialogue and really cool scenes. It's just it kind of frustrates me. My biggest example, and I can't wait to get into it, is I absolutely hate in Spider-Man Homecoming that he has basically an AI Iron Man suit. I hate that. That's not Spider-Man to me. I don't like that. But that's a topic for later in the discussion. My overall point is I love Tom Holland as Peter Parker. I think he's fantastic. I think he really... Not only looks the part, but he just feels like a modern take on the character. Well, I do think, I know Austin disagrees, but I think Toby as Peter Parker was modern for his time. I would say they missed the mark with Andrew as Peter, whereas Tom as a modern kind of Peter Parker, that kind of nerd is the new cool. I think they really nailed that aspect, and I love that. His Spider-Man is also great. I love the quips. He's super fun, super engaging. 
And the movies themselves, I loved his introduction in Civil War and then Homecoming. We'll get into it later. I don't know what it is about this movie. I've seen it like four times and it just feels super long in the tooth for me. It just feels, I don't know. There's just a lot of boring parts and I, maybe you guys can help me figure it out later why I feel that way. But um, Far From Home, I love. I think it's super awesome. I, I agree with some of the critics that like the first half is like, I don't know, the elementals and all that fun stuff is like, is that super engaging as Mysterio or other characters? Maybe not. But I think by the end, they really nailed it. And they did find a way without characters like Iron Man and other supporting characters to really help this version of Peter Parker tell his own story and learn some real lessons. So really enjoyed that. So overall, when it comes to comparing to past Spider-Man, it's going to be tough for me because this one's part of the MCU. But overall, really, really enjoy this interpretation. Yeah, there's two things I want to call out there. One, I think I do agree that it is weird seeing Peter Parker have an AI suit. It's just not what the Spider-Man character is. On the flip side of that, though, I do like his interactions with Karen, the suit lady. Yep, I think I those are really fun. Um, and then for Far From Home, I totally agree that the elementals are not engaging. But I think that's my favorite part about that movie is you're watching it and you're like, really, we're so far in the MCU and we're doing air, wind and fire. And then it flips halfway through and it's like, wow, this is actually really cool. It plays into the story, at least. It's awesome. Yeah. The nerd is the new cool. Yeah, I definitely agree with that statement. Yeah, he plays like a perfect awkward, but kind of cool at the same time. Not quite as cool as like Andrew Garfield's like punk rocker-ish, which I yeah. like because I thought that was a little too far. I love it. I, I And I get why you did, but I, I like that they didn't go that far with it this time. But they're also not... They're not, they didn't make him like socially handicapped, like Tobey Maguire, Peter Parker, <laughs> where he like can barely talk. It's like, what's wrong? But, um, and I did like that he's a little bit more, he did seem a little bit more age appropriate too. Um, he didn't look like he was like 30 years old, like Andrew and Toby did. He actually does look like a 15 or 16 year old. And when it comes to Spider-Man, I think I agree with both you guys. I mean, I think he plays it pretty well. There Maybe some stuff with his suit was a little over the top, but overall he's fun to watch and I really liked the humor in it as well. I think we may actually have a big question for this episode then, and I know I offended Keith in my Tobey Maguire comment, <laughs> and for the most part I was joking, but last time we did one of these episodes, we decided Andrew Garfield's a great Spider-Man. Maybe not as Peter, but his Spider-Man's pretty great. And now we're kind of talking like, hey, Tobey Maguire as Peter Parker's pretty good. So where does Tobey fit into all this? Because it's Peter Parker and Spider-Man, like that's the two aspects of the character. Yeah, it's going to be interesting because people always say... Um, not everybody, of course, but it seems like the general consensus is Toby's the best Peter, Andrew's the best Spider-Man, and Tom is the best. He's the most well-rounded, which I agree with that aspect for sure. I think with the other two, it was always one's good, one's bad, whereas Tom Holland, whether or not he's the best in either category, there's no controversy to him. He's very good at both, which I think helps these movies a lot for sure, since he's the lead character. So with that, of course, deciding who's the best Peter Parker, who's the best Spider-Man, where does Tom Holland fit, and where does Austin's much maligned Tobey Maguire fit, we're going to decide that today and now, my friends. Let's get into the episode. So as always, let's go ahead and start with our cast and crew. Austin and Keith, what you got for me? So Spider-Man Homecoming and Spider-Man Far From Home are directed by John Watts. Uh, you may know him from Clown or Cop Car, and he will also be directing the upcoming Spider-Man No Way Home and the MCU version of the Fantastic Four. Our writers are Chris McKenna and Eric Summers. Uh, you may know them from Community, the Lego Batman movie, um, Ant-Man and the Wasp, and they will also be returning for No Way Home. 
And our movie score is composed by Michael Giacchino. Uh, You may know his works from The Incredibles, Mission Impossible films, uh, the Star Trek films, and Rogue One. And he will be making the score for the upcoming Matt Reeves's The Batman. Mm-hmm. And of course, based on characters by Stan Lee and Steve Ditko. All right. Going into our cast, we have Tom Holland as Peter Parker, a.k.a. Spider-Man. Jacob Patalon as Ned. Zendaya as MJ. Marissa Tomei as Aunt May. Aunt Bay. <laughs> <laughs> Damn, it made me cough. <laughs> John Favreau as Happy Hogan. Laura Harrier as Liz Allen. Tony Reviorli as Flash Thompson, Angori Rice as Betty Brant, Martin Starr as Mr. Harrington, reprising his role from The Incredible Hulk, Bokeem Woodbine as Herman Schultz, a.k.a. Shocker, Donald Glover as Aaron Davis, a.k.a. The Prowler, J.B. Smoove as Mr. Dell, Peter Billingsley, a.k.a. Ralphie from The Christmas Story, <laughs> reprising his role from Iron Man, and we also got... Robert Downey Jr. as Tony Stark, a.k.a. Iron Man. Michael Keaton as Adrian Toomes, a.k.a. Vulture. Jake Gyllenhaal as Quentin Beck, a.k.a. Mysterio. Sam Jackson as Nick Fury. Kobe Smulders as Maria Hill. And J.K. Simmons as J. Jonah Jameson, reprising his role from the non-MCU Tobey Maguire Spider-Man films. All right, guys, there's our cast and crew. Any highlights, positive, negatives, what you got? And we're going to be talking about Tom Holland a lot today. So let's leave him off the board for now. Yeah, I got to give mine hands down to Mr. Jake Gyllenhaal as Quentin Beck Mysterio. I love this performance. I love that he gets to be like the charming guy for half the movie. Mm -hmm. Then he gets to switch to kind of the more disturbed character. I I really like that he kind of brings more to the role. Like he's so good at playing like characters with deeper levels. And that's exactly what Quentin Beck has in Far From Home. I really like seeing him interact with Peter Parker, too. Like, you can tell he has that kind of respect with, like, Peter Parker kind of charms him whenever they first interact, and he doesn't want to harm him, but then he's kind of stuck to to carry out his plan. So just all those, like, kind of unique dynamics around the character I really enjoyed. Yeah, it does genuinely seem like he had no interest in hurting him at all, only because he found out who he was that he had to. So I like that element, too. It seems like he actually did kind of like him at first, at least. Yeah, um, I'm going to go ahead and shout out Michael Keaton. Both villains. Wow, back to back. Yeah. For shout out. That's a good call. I thought Michael was really good. I've always been a big fan of his. and uh, I definitely think he played it really well. The, the Kind of the desperate dad, but also kind of kind of greedy when it comes to the business he was in. Uh, it was very believable, and he was really scary at some times. So um, I liked his performance a lot. The design for the vulture costume is awesome in homecoming i think it looks so cool i love the way he can like detach from the wings i think it's sweet well i've also liked that as much as he hated iron man they did give him i don't even know what you would call it like the black box where like they shoot his scenes while he's in the vulture costume they do the thing where it's like an iron man's hud where you see his face but then there's like black all around it you guys know what i'm talking about like whenever iron man's in the helmet they did the same thing for him like we hadn't seen that besides like Iron Man and War Machine. Like, he's the only other character we got that for. And it's like, that was pretty, that was a good choice. That was really cool. I really like the element of his character, too, of how he was going to be set just cleaning up scraps for like the city of New York. And then it gets taken away from him and that causes him to get desperate. And then he becomes villainous later on. Like, it felt very organic. Yeah, for sure. For sure. I was just really interested in all that, the whole scrap thing. Whenever he was telling that when the guy was trying to cut a piece off, he's like, their shit's the only shit that can cut through their own shit (laughs) or something. He said something (laughs) like that. 
Yeah, they said that was my favorite quote from both films. Their shit's the only shit that can cut through that shit, remember? <laughs> That's the tagline for Spider-Man Homecoming, actually. That's how they sold it to kids. <laughs> All right, this one's tough. Such a long cast list. So many people I want to call out. I know that we're going to talk about everybody here, but I have to single somebody out. I think when it comes to Spider-Man and Peter Parker, you have to have that character that grounds them, even with little screen time. We've talked about a version of this character in both episodes we have done previous to this with both Tobey Maguire and Andrew Garfield. And I got to say, man, I think Marissa Tomei really knocked it out of the park as Aunt May. I think this version of the character is another example that feels very modern. It feels like this is who this character should be for this version of Peter Parker. We've seen the Golden Age version, who's much older with Rosemary Harris and the Tobey Maguire films. We've seen a bit more of a middle ground with Sally Field. This version doesn't seem like they constantly have to force out dialogue that's supposed to like teach Peter a lesson. It's just, I'm not your friend. I'm your caretaker and I love you. And clearly I've gone through shit. They reference without saying his name that Uncle Ben died semi-recently. So I like this character and I think they really did nail a great balance. And Mr. Tomei, of course, great as always. So loved her in this. Yeah, I think the thing I really like about her, Aunt May, is like she always feels naturally involved in the story. It's never forced, kind of like you said. It's never like, all right, we have to do Aunt May because we just have to for Spider-Man. It's more like they found a more natural way to have her involved in Peter Parker's life. I agree. I also liked the element that they didn't. You know how at the end of um, Homecoming, she she finds out who he is? Yeah. And then in this one, it just cuts to her already being like cool with it. I'm kind of glad we got to skip over the part where she's like in shock and trying to accept him for who he is and all that, because that thing that would have, that kind of would have got annoying with her being like, I don't want you going out there. It's not safe you being doing all this and all that. They just skipped over all of that, and she was already cool with him being Spider-Man, which I kind of liked. I think that's actually one of the positives of having these movies involved in the MCU, is for our everyday people, like superheroes, all the crazy events that's happening to the world. It's Peter Parker being Spider-Man do- doesn't feel abnormal, I think. I think it's a lot easier that her character would be on board with it. All right. Well, let's go ahead and get into our full-on discussion here. We've each brought points. We want to know all the details about Tom Holland's Spider-Man, his movies, all of our thoughts on it. And there's a lot to say. There is a lot to say. These being part of the MCU makes that even more of a reality. So, my friends, let's just start off with something simple. What are our thoughts on Tom Holland's introduction in Civil War? Not necessarily like those some events in general, but just like him as a character, how do you feel about the way they integrated him into the MCU and some of those scenes in general? What'd you guys think? I thought it was an awesome tease for what's to come and kind of what the the MCU Marvel Studios vision for Spider-Man is. Um, he's quippy. He's quipping at all the Avengers, but he's also getting in on the action. It just felt so fresh and different compared to Andrew Garfield and Toby. And you could really get a sense of the MCU's kind of formula working for the Spider-Man character. And I guess it just helped establish his relationship with Tony right off the bat, because Tony was the one who went out to his house to recruit him. It was a funny introduction to him. It wasn't quite the the dark introduction we get with Toby and Andrew with Uncle Ben dying right away. You know, I kind of liked, it was a little bit more on the lighter side. Yeah. And introducing him in Civil War meant we really didn't have to do the Ben Parker stuff. Kind of got to just skip the origin. Yeah, which I know some fans have thoughts on. I think ultimately I'm fine with it. I will say um, it's very obvious that uh, they did not have the rights to Spider-Man when they first started making Civil War. Anybody goes back and looks at kind of the production on that movie. Spider-Man was not part of it. 
at the beginning. It just it happened with Sony later on. They're like, oh, so he does feel forced in. There's literally a line where it's like Tony and Black Widow are talking and it's like, yeah, I have a plan. I, I, I have an idea. And it's like, what's your idea? And he just like smirks and it just goes Queens. <laughs> it makes no <laughs> sense why he would go after this guy to fight Captain America. It doesn't matter. It's super fun. Um, I will say, really, the only part of the introduction to Spider-Man in this movie I like is what you said, Keith, is they set up the relationship with Tony Stark. When it comes to, like, the action, just with Spider-Man specifically, it's cool. I really enjoy it. And the quips are fun. The Peter Parker, we just get, like, maybe two minutes of it. But they really do do a great job of just that initial tease, like you said, Austin. That's all it was supposed to be. Keep in mind, in the... uh. How, like, all the Marvel movies go, Thor will return, Iron Man will return, Civil War's ending was not Captain America will return, it was Spider-Man will return. So that was the big tease of the movie, and I've always loved the line, because we did kind of make fun in the Andrew Garfield movies, how it was like, for whatever reason, they were opposed to saying with great power comes great responsibility, (laughs) I guess. They just didn't want to repeat the Tobey Maguire stuff, even though it's such a big thing in the comics. But... I've always loved this scene. It's so Peter Parker, whenever Tony Stark, almost in like an interview, sits him down in his room and asks him why he's doing this. And he's just like, when you can do the things I can do, and then the bad things happen, then it's your fault. And I think that's such a great way of playing with the whole, with great power comes great responsibility idea. And seeing Tony's reaction to that, he's like, oh, that's a great line. You can also see shit. So that's something Cap would say. This kid and Cap would get along, but I need his help. It's so there's like a lot of dynamics to that scene, and it's such a great introduction to Peter Parker. Yeah, I think that's something that Tom Holland does really well throughout his entire run as Spider-Man so far, is he can be the quippy 15-year-old kid, but then he's also really capable of of just as Peter Parker taking a step back and being able to kind of give an adult lens on things. Like he's very aware of his responsibility to his neighborhood, to his friends, and all the responsibility that comes with everything involved with being a superhero. Yeah, almost to a fault, because I would say the whole story of Homecoming is him realizing after the events of Civil War that while he thinks he's made for great things because he's fought alongside these Avengers, that he thinks he's owed something. He thinks that he should be an Avenger. He says things like, high school's in my rear view. I don't need to worry about that. I'm going upstate with Tony. Yeah. Um, and then by the end of the movie, he realizes I am kind of the friendly neighborhood Spider-Man. That's where I should be. That's where I can operate. And it's a cool arc. I really do enjoy that because it can kind of get annoying in that first movie where it's like, dude, what are you talking about? You're like a kid. Even uh, Ned is like, dude, you are a kid. Of course, Tony thinks of you as that. So it's a really kind of natural arc. And then the way that pays off in Far From Home, where he is constantly trying to be just this kind of street level hero, even though he did go to space in Infinity War and Endgame. It's, it, it's, it's admirable. It, it makes the character somebody you can root for. And it's nice to just have these stories be a bit more small scale than the broader Avengers stories. Keith, I, I know you always talk about with superhero movies how everything always has to be world-ending. And really, both of the hits films are limited to cities. Well, going to what you just said, Austin, that was one thing I, did, I was kind of hoping for in Homecoming that we didn't quite get, and that was more swinging through New York City. I feel like we didn't get enough in New York. Yeah. In these two I agree films. With you. Like, you see, he's in New York, but you don't get enough of, like, New York, New York, like him in Manhattan swinging through the skyscrapers. It's more of him just going to the party, talking to his friends at the school, which all that was great, but we didn't get 
like the classic Spider-Man going through the buildings and just like and grabbing, you know, uh, purses from thieves and all that kind of stuff. I feel like we didn't get quite enough of that. We got a little bit of it, but not not enough for my taste. I was hoping for a little bit more. And the first time we do get that, as people have called out, is the last maybe two minutes of Far From Home. Whenever he comes back from London and there's that amazing sequence where he's like doing some classic comic book video game Spider-Man stuff, the animated series where he's on his phone and he's swinging at the same time, flipping around. It's like, oh, he sees a text. Don't text and swing. And he's like flipping around. It's awesome. But yeah, that was like that felt like a very big moment because it was so jarring because in Homecoming, he's just kind of swinging around smaller neighborhoods. There's not a lot of it. Um, I still like it, like you said, Keith, but. I think that moment in Far From Home at the end stands out because it's like, oh, wow, yeah, I forgot. Like, this happened constantly in the other movies. So just kind of well, a and that's, difference. That's also something we talked about with Andrew Garfield's Spider-Man where they do a great job of showing him being the everyday Spider-Man. His montages are awesome. There's that great sequence where he has a cold. You know, you, you see him doing it day in and day out, not just against the big villains. Um, we do get a small sequence of it in Homecoming, but it's really more so played for laughs where he's trying to go out and fight crime, but... There's somebody who's like, hey, you're that spider guy. Do a flip. Or he tries to stop a carjacker, but it's somebody getting into their own car. Um, so you're right, Keith. We don't get enough of him being New York Spider-Man. What exactly sticks out about Tom Holland that makes him a great Spider-Man or even a great Peter Parker when compared to those other ones? I'm not talking about like even the performance necessarily, but like the stories that they're kind of navigating. Just what kind of stood out to you guys? Yeah, I think I said it earlier. I think he... He looks more the part, for one thing, physically. Yeah. Like, he looks more like a kid. Yeah, I really think he does. He plays Peter perfectly. He has, like, the perfect amount of awkwardness, but also he's aware enough to know who he is and, and what he's capable of and not, like, overly cocky. Because um, I think at some sometimes we did get the cockiness from Andrew and Toby at some points in their movies. So you really don't get that with, with uh, Tom Holland. I think he's, he's a pretty humble Spider-Man. Yeah, I think the thing I like the most about Tom Holland is, for one, it, it's the quips. I think his quips when he's being Spider-Man are awesome, and they're all really funny. Um, and the other thing, too, is he's very good at being the cool nerd, kind of like you talked about, Matt. He is nerdy, he is awkward, but at the same time, he has this sense of, like, he's still kind of a cool kid. Um, and I also think he brings something to the performance that you don't get from Toby and Andrew, and it's that you get a sense of the fact that he is still a kid who has stepped into this larger world. And sometimes the world gets a bit too big for him. Um, he's also not like too smart for a high school student. Like he's not doing advanced physics or any of that stuff that sometimes Andrew and Toby do. Um, he's not like building his own tech. His tech comes from Tony, which I did like Andrew's tinkering, however you want to say it, the fact that he is a tinkerer. But I think the way they do it with Tom Holland, it's just a bit more natural for where he is at this stage in his life. Yeah, again, that's the give and take of the MCU, because while I did love the Andrew kind of tinkering stuff, and I love the Toby talking like with like a Doc Ock, for example, like the very kind of um, the scientific talk they have, it felt very natural for that version of Peter. This version doesn't really have that. Um, and you're right, Tony just gives him all his tech. But then there are moments here and there, like at the end of Far From Home, where he builds his own suit. And then you get to see him kind of come up with a way to combat these drones with like the electrical webs. I guess you could argue that it's like, well, did they set up him knowing that stuff before? I guess not, but it still works. Um, I do think it was a really good choice, like you guys said, that he is kind of a cool nerd. But the thing that was such a great choice that separates him from Andrew, and I know Austin liked this, and, and I did too, is that he was 
The Andrew Garfield version of Peter was an outsider. He wasn't like a loser or like super like crazy, awkward, or even weird. He was just kind of an outsider in the school he was in. I think it was a really smart choice to make Midtown High not just a normal public high school, but the school he goes to is like a science and technology school. So it's like everybody there has some sort of like, I don't know, uh, reverence for science and technology. And they're kind of being positioned to go somewhere in that field in the future when it comes to college or whatever. So everybody in this school is super smart. But then you still have characters like Flash Thompson, while being smart, will not be like Joe Manganiello and like punch you in the face for no reason. They'll just kind of call you a name or make fun of you because he's rich and you're poor or something like that. Not saying that's a good thing. I'm just saying it's more real and feels more natural for this version of Peter. He's not a loser. It's just he's surrounded by smart people for the first time in these Spider-Man movies. Um, So he's not an outsider. He's just kind of awkward and can't really talk to people. Uh, But everybody's smart, which I thought was a, a really smart choice. I also like, too, that he has social skills. Like Andrew and Toby, Toby does not have any social skills no. in his movies. <laughs> no. um, Andrew can't form a complete sentence when he talks to a girl. <laughs> Tom Holland Spider-Man can. Where he gets kind of tripped up is his um, priorities as Spider-Man yeah. or his responsibilities as Spider-Man just constantly get in the way of his personal life. Should we get into his actual Spider-Man persona? Um, and, and I'll kick us off with, with my big question is... I actually think they don't do a good job in Tom Holland's films of showcasing the Spidey sense. What do you guys think about that? Tom Holland's Spider-Man definitely shows more like super strength than I think the other two did. But going what you said, Austin, I think going back to Toby, whenever Flash, when Joe, Man- Joe uh, Maniello goes to punch him in the hallway scene and he sees the punch coming like way before he even happens and it shows all these different angles, like he has like eight eyes, just like a spider. Yeah, we don't get that. I don't think at all, really, with, with Tom Holland, which would have been kind of cool to see. You do in the end with Mysterio, and that's a great takedown of Mysterio. I love that sequence, but that's that's kind of it. I was going to call that out, too. I, yeah, I think it's just a matter of fact. It's no disrespect to John Watts. I just think Sam Raimi and Mark Webb were able to more stylistically show off the spider sense. Like you said, Keith, the way they did slow motion. My favorite is still like the reverse zoom at the end of Spider-Man 1, whenever the goblin glider's coming in and it just like zooms into his face and pulls out at the same time, then he flips over. It's like such a great way to show off the spider sense. It's such a easy way to do it, but it takes somebody like Sam Raimi to go like, that's way, that's how we should do it. Mark Webb did something similar in the Andrew Garfield films. Um, I think it's a byproduct of the MCU. I just, we may, we may talk about it more later. I think these movies, for better or worse, do they fit stylistically in the MCU? Yes. But the cost of that is at a lot of times, particularly during the action sequences, they kind of just feel like every other MCU movie. It doesn't feel like this is distinctively Spider-Man. I know the three of us all have varying takes on the Maguire and Garfield movies, but at least those had a style to it, particularly the Maguire movies. But they felt like all tour directors were working on those. This one just feels like they hired a great director to tell a great story, and it's like, but make sure this fits into the MCU. So I don't think it kind of jives that well. And the Spider-Sense is such a great example of that because think about it. In Civil War, the Russo brothers, they were like, how can we show off the Spider-Sense? I always think of in the airport scene where he's fighting Bucky and Falcon and they have his eyes like shrink really quick. And he's like, whoa. And like something flies at him. It's like, okay, that's his Spider-Sense. Yeah. That never happens in Homecoming because it's a different director. And it's like, okay, well, that's a weird continuity thing. 
And then you go to Infinity War where you have the Russo brothers again and you have in the bus when the aliens come down, you have the hair stand up on his arm and then he like yep. shoots up and it's like, oh, OK, I guess the spider sense is back. So it's just kind of a byproduct of who happens to be the director handling that character. The only time, like you said, Austin, where John Watts, I think, knocked it out of the fucking park was at the end of Far From Home. By the way, calling it the Peter Tingle instead of Spider-Sense. Pretty funny. Incredible. That's so funny. funny. <laughs> and the way he just closes his eyes and just takes down Mysterio at the end was awesome. And it was a great buildup from the beginning of that movie where he was feeling like he couldn't do that. So that was awesome. But there is kind of a discontinuity between how that works in, the, in these movies. And I, I am hoping for No Way Home... Now that the tingle is back for young Peter, um, I'm hoping that they have a cool way to showcase the spider sense in No Way Home, especially with him interacting with the other. I really hope we get kind of like a Spider-Verse moment where they all kind of sense each other. And it's like, oh, you're like me? Like, I I think that'd be sweet. Yeah. Yeah. What do you guys think about the way he actually fights? Um, Because to me, especially in Homecoming, he's not a great fighter. Like Andrew Garfield felt more like kind of like a brawler paired with the webs. It kind of feels like in both of his movies, the only thing tom holland spider-man can do is just be creative with how he uses his webs he's very good at putting webs in the right spots to you know keep people from getting hurt from things falling or webbing people up really quickly but he's not really punching or like actually taking anybody down until he fights mysterio at the very end and of course my big problem with that austin is i 100 percent agree with you but and i hate to keep bringing it up but is he being creative with his webs? I don't think so. In Homecoming, it just feels like the AI does it for him based on how they set it up. You get more of the, I guess what I mean by creative though is you get more of the gadgets in no, action and I, 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 agree with with I agree with you. I'm just saying it feels a little bit like, ah, they set up too much like Iron Man AI that it's like, is he? Like, I don't know. But I totally hear your point. And yeah, I think the way I look at his action scenes is he's just super flippy. He always looks very CGI, which of course you can lob that criticism at Tobey Maguire's and Andrew Garfield, but there is still practicality with some of the fist fights and stuff. So I do think at times Toby felt like a brawler in the same way you're talking about, but you're right. I don't think Tom ever feels that way. It just kind of feels like he's always jumping and flipping and swinging and like shooting webs. It's never like he's pausing to fight, which looks cool. But as time has gone on, some of that CG is already not looking great, especially with like the green and blue screen backgrounds. I don't know what it is, but those like already don't look super good. So he looks kind of a just very computery and CG. So yeah, the fight scenes are kind of unremarkable. They, they just feel very MCU, like I said. There's not like a lot of stylistic difference between this or literally any other MCU movie. I think why it kind of stands out is in Andrew Garfield's Spider-Man, especially Spider-Man 2, you have that sequence of him and Goblin in the tower going around in a very tight-knit space. And it feels like this could only be a Spider-Man fight scene. No other mm-hmm. superhero is going to be in this type of environment. And they don't, have a standout thing like that for Tom Holland yet. They might have it in No Way Home, but they haven't done it yet. These movies do really hit home that he has super strength, but you wouldn't really know it by his fight scenes. But then in the comedic scenes, you do see it. Like in the Far From Home sequence where he literally slaps Flash and he's knocked out for like, I don't know how long. And it's like, oh, that was really funny. I really enjoyed that. But yeah, in the fight scenes, in the action sequences, a lot of the times he's just kind of swinging around almost aimlessly at times like you are wondering so what's his plan here like where's he going and then, like by the end it's like okay now i see but i never really had that issue with um past spider-man you know it is a nitpick for sure but i do think while they do keep telling us he has super strength you wouldn't always know it from the fight sequences it is on just to be devil's advocate it is 
kind of cool that he is still a kid. Maybe he doesn't have a plan in the moment and you just kind of see him figuring it out as he just throws himself into a situation. Yeah. Because that's who Peter Parker is. He just goes towards the danger. Um, so I, I kind of get why maybe he's not the perfect fighter yet, but I am hoping they develop that more in the coming films. What did we think about um, this version of Peter interacting with the various side characters we meet? A lot of highlights in there, I would say. I don't think any major negatives, but did you guys like the friends he had, the family, all that good stuff? I do think the Peter Parker and Ned relationship is, for me, hands down, the best like friend relationship we get of all three of these characters. One, it's hilarious, the scenes they have together. And two, it just feels very natural. It feels like a very nerdy friendship. They're going to hang out and build a Death Star together. It just... I think making them younger and just having this kind of geeky um, relationship really works for these characters, especially for Peter Parker. Man, I love him and Ned scenes. I think that's from some of my favorite scenes to watch. Their dialogue so funny, especially in the, the hallway at the beginning of Homecoming, whenever Ned and him are talking and, uh, and Peter's kind of like zoning Ned out because he's looking at, uh, at Liz. And then Ned's like, we could go back to your place and build the Death Star. And then, <laughs> and then later on when Peter walks into Spider-Man, he drops the Death Star all over the floor and it breaks and the pieces go everywhere. So good. I like that Ned is like a Spider-Man fan too. Like he has all these questions and he's so excited when he finds out that his friend is Spider-Man. I like that Flash is a Spider-Man fan as well. That's one of my favorite comedic beats. He's like, I just love Spider-Man. You know, he inspires me to be a better man. And Peter walks in. Hey, what's up, dickwad? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I really like the relationships too. It feels for the first time we finally got a character supposedly called Peter Parker that you wouldn't know from the other versions, but this version actually feels like he's in high school. And more importantly, the relationships he has feel like high school relationships, not just his friends, but his crushes, his quote unquote bullies, his eventual, I guess, actual relationships with Zendaya's MJ. And of course, the, the adults in his life, super important too. We already talked about Marissa Tomei's Aunt May, but I think their dynamic is very different than anything we've seen from Peter and Aunt May before. They feel more like contemporaries while still being kind of a pseudo mother-son relationship, which I think they both played super well. And I guess we'd be remiss if at some point we didn't talk about, I know people, you know, don't love some of the Tony Stark stuff, how it influences the character. But I mean, going back to his introduction in Civil War, the whole mentor-mentee relationship between uh, Tony and Peter is important to bring up. So, I mean, with that, what do you guys think? Did that work for you? as it kind of plays out through all these movies, because I mean, that's even a big part of Avengers Infinity War and Endgame. So it's kind of like this weird, what, like four or five movie arc in a way. Like, did all that pay off? Did it feel natural? Did you like the relationship? I, I do really like the relationship. I don't like how all his gadgets comes from Tony, which is what we've talked about, but the actual Tony Stark, Peter Parker relationship, I think it's fantastic. And I, I think it's fun to have a Peter Parker story or movie where it's not just him on his own, figuring it out. It's kind of nice to have somebody who can kind of guide him throughout this kind of crazy superhero world. And then when we get to their kind of final scenes together in Endgame, you know, it's it's four movies in the making and um, the culmination of their relationship feels very earned. It's still very heart-wrenching to watch uh, Peter Parker hold Tony Stark after he snaps his fingers. It's also very emotional to see Tony Stark think he's caused Peter Parker's death in Infinity War. Um, so for me, I think the actual relationship between the two of them is fantastic. Yeah, I totally agree. I do think the relationship is really cool, but I do agree with you, what you said, Austin, that Peter can sometimes rely too much on, on Tony's gadgets, which goes to what you said, Matt. 
kind of makes these movies not feel so distinguished. It's like too much of an Iron Man MCU influence some of the times. And I honestly, when I was watching both these movies, I forgot how much Tony was in these. Just to throw out a positive of these movies being tied to the MCU, I, I think something we do get that is very unique to these Spider-Man films is we get to see the everyday lives of people who are involved in the MCU. We get to see what it's like to go to high school in a world where the Avengers exist. We get to see the fallout from the Battle of New York, and we also get to see the fallout from the snap and endgame of, of a high school student coming back five years older. It's, stuff like that, I think, is really cool that they fleshed out. It doesn't necessarily mean that it makes it a better Spider-Man movie, but I, I think it makes the MCU feel more lived in. What are your thoughts on Zendaya's MJ? Because I like Zendaya's MJ. Um, I like the darker you know, comedy that comes from that character. I think she's great in the role. And I think her and Peter have a great friendship, but I don't buy the fact that Peter Parker has fallen for this MJ, mainly because we don't see it. Ugh. Far From Home opens, and he's like, I, I love I MJ. And, in Home, and Homecoming ends with, I was so in love with Liz, and we, we never saw him fall for her or her fall for him. Ugh. Yeah, I, um, I agree with everything you just said. I think Zendaya as MJ is awesome. But I only think, and it sucks to say, and I, I think this is kind of a discredit to the writers, she's only even remotely worth talking about in regards to Far From Home. I don't even know why she's in Homecoming. It honestly just feels like the writers are like, Zendaya, I mean, even at that time, four years ago, I mean, she was more known for music. I guess people knew who she was. Like, we'll put her in this movie and we'll call her Michelle the whole time. She's only in it. So at the end, she can go, my friends call me MJ. And then Ned's like, I thought you didn't have any friends. And then she goes, well, I do now. And it's like, okay, that wasn't earned. You didn't, that was, (laughs) you did not make friends over the course of this movie. And then you're so right, Austin. It is like, I like Far From Home a lot, but it is the biggest effing eye roll moment at the beginning of that movie where he just pops in like, okay, here's my plan, how I'm going to tell MJ how I feel about her. And it's like, the only reason they're doing that is because her name's MJ. (laughs) And like, Peter Parker likes somebody named MJ in comics. (laughs) So it's not earned, but their chemistry in that movie, that sequel, I do think, evolves naturally. I like watching them together. It has elements of the whole nerdy Peter Parker and nerdy Gwen Stacy we talked about in the Amazing Spider-Man movies. I like that they feel not like one of them's this weird nerd and one of them's like the coolest girl in school. It feels like a more natural connection. You get why both of them like each other. It's just unfortunate that Homecoming is just kind of a wash in that regard. None of it matters. It's just far from home starts and I guess they like each other. Uh, I would definitely like that scene on the bridge though too. Whenever he was like, I gotta, I've been wanting to tell you something. You're Spider-Man. And, and I like that she figured it out on her own because she, you know, it's not stupid like everybody else has apparently. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because they called it out in that movie. Like he was like, oh, I can't wear this costume because I was at the Washington Monument and I don't live in Washington. And now you want me to wear my Spider-Man suit in London while I don't live here. People are going to put together that the two times Midtown High went on field trips, Spider-Man showed up. <laughs> and then she's like, you could wear a different suit, but you have the exact same powers. I watched you. Like, you're Spider-Man. He's like, oh. <laughs> I guess now that we've kind of broken down these movies' connections to the MCU, let's just finalize our thoughts here. Are these Spider-Man movies too connected to the MCU? Do you wish they were a bit more separated? Or are we happy to have the trade-off of just the MCU characters' involvement in these films? I I think I would like at least one of them to be more distinguished, and then maybe the other one to be more involved in the MCU. I didn't mind the MCU stuff, but it just would have been fun to have at least maybe one movie on its, on its own, not much MCU influence. 
just to kind of like go go back to what I said earlier, just to kind of get that that New York City Spider Man that we all know and love. Yeah, that's kind of the weird thing for me because even though I really like Far From Home, it just feels like at times the MCU. It's not even with the Spider Man movies only. They just can't get away from whether it be world building or just setting up some character dynamic from a past movie or whatever, because like at least Tony has a specific purpose in Homecoming, whether or not you like how much he's in it or whatever. I personally do, but it's like, okay, I like that. And then Infinity War and Endgame happen and he dies. And even though that was really sad, I was actually really excited for Far From Home after the events of Endgame because I was like, okay, cool. So what does Spider-Man this version mean without Tony Stark. But then it's like the entire movie is just, oh, I'm so guilty about his death and I feel so bad about it. And then they have another villain, just like Michael Keaton's Vulture, who had a direct connection to Tony and he has to overcome that. The whole plot's like, not only am I guilty about Iron Man's death, but also people are like, are you going to be the next Iron Man? It's like, okay, like, do we have to constantly be throwing that out there? Can't we just be, like you said, Key, like the friendly neighborhood Spider-Man? Like, he says that, but the rest of the characters are like, you're the next Iron Man, right? Or I'm Mysterio. I hate Iron Man, just like Vulture. It, it does get a bit too much at times. Yeah, I think it's a weird, a weird thing to balance because from a character perspective, I would like to have my own self-contained Spider-Man story. But then from a story perspective of the MCU... It would be very weird to have these two characters so tied closely together in our broader Avengers movies, and then they just like have no crossover in the Spider-Man movies. So it's a weird thing to balance. I think at the end of the day, I'm just I'm happy that them for the MCU's involvement, just because we can have Spider-Man appear in these broader MCU films, and it is very fun. He's Marvel's most popular character, so it it is nice to have him a part of the broader team. But I am hoping for the future films that they are more just kind of Spider-Man centric and don't have to be so tied to the MCU. Can we go into like the the end credits? We got to talk about the end credits because the end credits of Homecoming sets up Scorpion and that went nowhere. Yeah, they had uh, Michael Mando from Far Cry 3, Orphan Black and um, Better Call Saul, uh, who's playing Scorpion and then he just never returns. <laughs> yeah. Do you do you know any history there, Matt? Like, were there plans for Sinister Six? Well, I mean, it seems like they're doing that now, right? With No Way Home, but I don't know. I would say we'll probably see Scorpion again in the future. I just don't know why they introduced him in that first film so briefly and in the end credit scene where he's like, ah, Michael Keaton, I heard you know who Spider-Man is. Is that true? And he's like, no, I don't know. <laughs> but yeah, Keith, what'd you think of the end credit scenes? Like your first time watching. Yeah, I, I don't want to say that. But I just want to hear, what did you think whenever we returned after he comedically drops Zendaya and then the credits roll and you thought that was it and then we come back up what'd you think because this is a crazy scene whenever uh, Mysterio comes on the big screen in Times Square I was like oh shit uh when Peter's just sitting there in the light post just watching with everybody else below him that was such a cool uh view of all that and then when he reveals that he knows who Spider-Man is it's Peter Parker and then Peter does the, the what the fuck it was a perfect ending because it was the same ending yeah. in the first one whenever mm-hmm. Aunt May finds out who he is so yeah that was really cool I can't wait to see this impacts No Way Home just what they do with the whole world knowing that Spider-Man is Peter Parker and then going to the next uh, end credit scene turns out that it's not really Nick Fury and Maria it's the shapeshifter aliens from Captain Marvel that really caught me off guard too I guess they're just hired by Nick Fury I guess because I knew him from Captain Marvel. My biggest question isn't 
what the shapeshifters are doing, because clearly they're just holding the fort down while Nick Fury's gone. My my question is, what the hell is Nick Fury doing, and where is he? What whose ship is he on, too? Seems like he's in deep space or something. And why? Uh, people have pointed out. I think it's a really great point. Kind of the same way that Jake Gyllenhaal's overacting in this movie on purpose. It is funny to watch Samuel L. Jackson. In this movie, he's playing Samuel L. Jackson. He's not playing Nick Fury because it feels like Ben Mendelsohn as the scroll is trying to play his perception of Nick Fury. People always point out the line where he's like, Peter Parker's like, I'm just your friendly neighbor Spider-Man. He's like, bitch, you've been to space. Like that's, that a, that's a Sam Jackson <laughs> line. That's not a Nick Fury line. Yeah. But it is something that somebody impersonating Nick Fury would say. <laughs> so it kind of works out in the end. If you guys just had one standout scene from Infinity War or Endgame, whether it just be an action or emotional scene, I know Spider-Man's not really in those movies, but did anything stand out? Because for me, it's always going to be, we talked about how fun and grounded these movies are, but just the visual element of seeing Thanos, like the Mad Titan himself in the middle of a fight with all these Avengers, and Doctor Strange is using portals so that Spider-Man can swing up and just like kick and quip and punch Thanos in the head. Whoever thought we would have got that in live action? It's just so funny. It's just like magic rules. <laughs> I think mine might be the payoff of seeing him activate instant kill just because it was teased oh, so much in Homecoming. That's a great moment. <laughs> so good. I always love the Donald Glover thing, like just paying off like um, uh, Donald Glover was the inspiration for the comic book creators to make Miles Morales after Donald Glover almost played Peter Parker in the Amazing Spider-Man movie. And since Andrew Garfield did instead, the comic books created a black character that was Spider-Man. And then by the time this movie came out, John Watts was like, I got to get Donald Glover. And whenever he's like, because he's playing the Prowler in this movie, he's playing the Mahershala Ali character from Into the Spider-Verse. So he's Miles Morales's uncle, which he references. And it's like, God, I want to see Miles Morales in live action. I want to so see bad. it so bad, dude. All right. Well, of course, uh, in a couple of weeks, whenever we talk about Spider-Man No Way Home, we will run that movie down, and we will rank all the Spider-Man movies. But for now, my friends, since we are not quite there yet, we're so close, I just want to know, what are your expectations for this movie? I know, Keith, you haven't watched any trailers. Austin, I'm sure you have as well. I have too. Um, what are we thinking? What are we wanting to see? Yeah, I'll say that the trailers have been very underwhelming. I think, though, they just can't show a lot. I'm also hoping there's a lot of fake footage in there, which they have done in the past for these Spider-Man movies. Um, I am just really, I'm, first of all, I'm really glad we did this. It was really fun to go back to all these movies and kind of be caught up for these characters that will be appearing um, in No Way Home. And I, I'm just, I'm honestly most excited to see Andrew Garfield and Tom Holland interact. And then on the flip side of that, I'm hoping I can finally see the light of what works for Tobey Maguire. I'm hoping that I get a good Tobey moment in this film and it just kind of clicks for me and I can kind of see where you guys are at because I just, I still don't get it. What would Toby have? What would be a good Toby moment? Do you think? I kind of hope he's like disheveled and kind of lost, but not I in like too. a awkward way. But just kind of like he's been Spider Man for so long and he's so much older that he's just worn down. I mm -hmm. hope we kind of get because he's just so awkward and weird in his <laughs> trilogy. I I need more. I need more from his Peter. He just shows up in like his little bicycle helmet. I got hit by a bike messenger <laughs> again. <laughs> he still has the sticker that's still half stuck on from Mister Aziz's pizza shop. It's pizza time. <laughs> I'm looking forward to seeing Toby, Andrew, Willem Dafoe, uh, Doc Ock coming back. Jamie Foxx. Jamie Foxx coming back. Your favorite. Yep. And Doctor Strange is in this one too, Keith. Oh my God, Keith. I don't want to spoil it, 
there is one line from the most recent trailer. As as you and the audience might know, I love doing impressions of Benedict Cumberbatch's American accent, mainly from the first Doctor Strange movie where he's like, I don't believe in stories about energies or chakras. He has a line that I cannot believe past the edit. It might just be for the trailer, but Keith, I'm I'm gonna try I'm not gonna be hyperbolic here. He says this line. You told me to cast a spell that would make everybody forget you were Spider-Man. <laughs> he says the word Spider-Man, and it is the weirdest sounding thing I have oh, ever man. heard. He says, forget you were Spider-Man. <laughs> like, what is he saying? <laughs> I laughed so hard. I was like, I have to tell Keith this. Well, I'm super excited to see a lot of past characters come into this one. I will still hold out hope that they find a way. I don't know how they do it, but I hope there's a through line for Tom Holland's Spider-Man. I hope there's like a beginning, middle, and end for his version of the character, right? Like, I hope the movie doesn't just rely on like, oh, wow, here's Willem Dafoe. Here's Andrew Garfield. Like, I hope there's still like a cohesive story just for Tom. Like, I hope he's still the main character because like you said, I mean, a pretty huge bombshell that like his identity is revealed at the end of Far From Home. So I hope they don't like forget about stuff like that in favor of just doing nostalgia. So I hope while they still give us those great like kind of blast from the past moments that we're still getting a cool Tom Holland, Peter Parker story. I think they will, though. They've had good they've had good through stories for Peter Parker in both these films. So there's no reason to think they won't. Well, of course, before we fully close out here, my friends, let's give out some awards. So Austin and Keith, out of the Tom Holland Spider-Man entries and appearances, what do you think deserves some praise? The best? Chaperone Award goes to Martin Starr as Mr. Harrington. Hell yeah. What a cool teacher. And J.B. Smoove is up there too, though, as Mr. Dill. He was good. Uh, you know what? I'm going to give it to good. both of them. The Best Chaperones Award goes to Martin Starr and J.B. Smoove as Mr. Dell and Mr. Harrington. I liked how whenever Peter walks back into the hotel, Mr. Harrington's like, oh, good, Peter, you're not dead. <laughs> <laughs> Cracked me I up. love Mr. Dell's like, uh, longing to not be involved in any yeah. of the decisions. You leave me out of this. I'm taking an Ambien. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Harrington, Martin Starr has two incredible lines. It's such an easy one, but in Homecoming, whenever he's like, I couldn't stand to lose somebody on the trip. Not again. <laughs> Just like stares into the camera. And then, oh my God, I wonder if it was improv, but in Far From Home, wherever he tells Peter that his wife faked being blipped so oh, she could yeah. run off with that like her lover. And they had a fake funeral for her. Yes. Yeah. That's like, so funny. I'm going to give the most forgiving award to Peter Billingsley as William. Mm. And it's because of a very weird sequence of events where Jake Gyllenhaal gets upset with William, turns his drones on him, and threatens his life. I'd be scared if I was William. Next scene, very next scene from this character, is he gets a a message from Jake Gyllenhaal. He acts like nothing's happened. He just goes, you got it, brother, and hangs up. (laughs) He does. Very forgiving. Very forgiving about William. Well, I could pick something different in order to have variety, but you guys know me all too well. You brought up Peter Billingsley as William. He does, unfortunately, or maybe fortunately, tie into my award. And of course, of course, my award ties back into where we all began, baby. The best flashback of all time. And it's my friend Obadiah Stane yelling at William, Tony Stark built this in a cave with a box of scraps. He doesn't say box of scraps, though. They cut him off at cave. I closed my eyes and just imagined it. I just imagined it. 
I thought about giving an award to uh, the most overboard whenever like Peter is just like casually like, I almost killed my friend Brad with the drone earlier. It's like, oh, okay. Brad deserved it. But why did that woman not let Peter change in a bat? Ah, a conversation for another time, I guess. She wanted to see his Peter tingle. Ew! (laughs) (laughs) Well, speaking of Peter Tingle, guys, thank you, everybody, so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode and our ongoing lead-up series for Spider-Man No Way Home, make sure you hit that follow button so you never miss our upcoming episodes. Also, if you wouldn't mind sharing us with a friend, we really would appreciate that to continue to grow our show. Please leave us reviews as well. Even if you don't want to write anything, leaving us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast really does help us out. At the Arnie's is our social, and the Arnie's.media is the website. We'll be back on Tuesday with another holiday theme bracket. Just like last year, we've submitted 12 movies to duke it out for the title of Best Holiday Movie. Guys, how are we feeling about this? Well, my friends, I'm feeling stressed because I somehow forgot about the fact that this is next week. I've only watched one movie, and I have 11 more to go knock out before hey, we record. Let's do it. <laughs> Merry Christmas. Recently watched Santa Claus 2, though. Is that on this list? Yes, sir. <laughs> we watched Santa Claus last year. Santa Claus 2 is on this year. Maybe you'll like the sequel better, Austin. Yeah. You won't. You definitely won't. <laughs> None of us liked the first one last year. Why would we None do the sequel? None of us. You little projector. I loved it. <laughs> it didn't win. That's true. That's true. It didn't win. It didn't win. It didn't win. So that'll be a fun episode. Austin, what else do we have coming up? Yeah. Well, the, the end of the year is fast approaching. So we've got uh, No Way Home, of course, which we are all now fully prepared for. We've got the Matrix films, which I will be watching all three for the first time. So exciting. And then we have our end of year special where we'll be giving out a full episode of Arnie's Awards. This might be my like favorite few episode like in a row, if that makes sense, that, we, that we've done so far. There's just so much exciting stuff to do. We're celebrating the holidays. We're celebrating Keanu and the Matrix. We're talking about a new Spider-Man movie and giving out awards. I mean, come on. It's going to be great. But lastly, we want to hear from you. So please send us a message on Instagram at the Arnie's or email us thearniesmedia at gmail.com. What do you think of Tom Holland as Spider-Man? Are you excited for No Way Home? Let us know. Anything you say, we'll read on the show and react to it live on our latest episode. That's right. So with that, have a great rest of your week. We'll see you next time for our holiday bracket. And in the meantime, see you later, Pedro. See ya. Keep the Peters in your pants, people. (laughs) 